Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinus. Makalua. The main team. Mega Bears fan. With guest co-hosts. Andrew Thane. Hello and welcome to Polycast episode 330. I'm the main team and I am joined by Canis. Is this the part where something's supposed to happen? I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting this part. I got to remember to come up with something clever. So maybe something about moist towelettes. Regularly late co-host Makalua. Please hold. Skype is updating for technical difficulties. Uh, Mega Bears fan. Oh, I I guess we're talking about Civ now and not Dark Souls. Possibly. (laughs) Andrew Singh. So I am making an edict. If, uh, since Dan's not here, we're going to purposefully pronounce Janissaries as Janissaries today. Oh, boy. That'll be fun. Wait, are they good units or bad units? Because depending on your answer, I'm not sure I'll agree with this. I think they'll say, I'm sorry, when uh, you try to attack them. <laughs> Every time you, you do anything with them. No, it'd be when they try to attack you. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> Isn't that like the Civ unit, though? No. Or the, the Canada no. unit? They, they should replace it when, when they kill a unit. That's when they say yeah. it. Cause that, so that's when it would be the most vexing. Yeah, that, that's what I had was going for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. We can move on to the news section now. It's uh, assigned to Mackie, which... Yeah. We can... Uh, yeah. Somebody else start that one, and I'll pick up another topic in a minute. I'm trying to get the dock open on the computer. All right, I guess uh, she and I can swap the uh, Ottomans for Sweden then. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, I think since our last recording, a couple new civilizations have been announced for the Civ Six Gathering Storm expansion. And uh, one of them is Sweden with its leader, was it Christina? Is that her name? Yes. And it looks like Sweden is going to be a science-oriented sieve. Mm. Well, actually, the the post says cultural diplomacy and culture, but not bad in science. Yeah, I would imagine they'd be pretty good at science, too. But yeah, I was was preparing for Ottomans, so I've got to, like, the post written real quick. So they get extra great work slots. Oh, yeah, that's definitely a (laughs) culture-oriented, unless they're getting science from those great works. And they have bonuses that allow them to settle on as many varied terrain types as possible and if you build an open air museum which is their unique i think improvement right not district or building yeah you get bonuses i think for the terrain i think is something that i heard i don't know there's Culture some sort and of... tourism and loyalty yeah they open air what is it open air something museum. um museum and you get plus two culture and tourism once you reach flight every for every type of feature or not feature but really type of terrain that you have between let me get this off the the top of my head tundra snow grassland desert and i'm missing one plains plains Plains, yes so i expect that most uh civs are going to have or most cities are going to have maybe two or three of those and so you'll want to lock down and get plus two or, or sorry, get plus four or plus six uh, culture and tourism for each well, city. That, that, that works. Are they locked? Are That's they locked not how it one works. Per city like uh, Scotland's golf courses. One per city. And also, it doesn't matter how many different types of tile there are in each city. It only matters that the city, there is a city in the empire founded on that terrain type. 
So if you have five cities that are each founded on a different terrain type, they all get plus whatever the max is. And it has right. to be the city center or just any tile? I, no, anything in the city, but it's not going to happen where you're not going to have, or rather you're not going to have all five in one city, or at least unless it's really, really weird. <laughs> well, you don't want all five in one city. You just want one city in your empire to have its center on that type, and it affects all of them in the, in the empire. Man, snow would just kind of suck, but I guess you can do it. Yeah, but you only really need one. One hex of it, right? Yeah. <clears throat> you can do what the AI does and put that crappy little city up in the tundra, which probably would turn out to have oil later. Well, I guess if <laughs> it makes all of your open-air museums better, maybe it's worth it. Yeah. Just, yeah. just to have that pop one city that's... Steal a settler, the, take know. a city, either way. Because if you have three of those types, you know, you can get uh, a decent amount of culture uh, if you lock that down. That's fine. Uh, I like it. It's a lot better than some of the other unique uh, improvements I've seen in the game. Inclu- even the, uh, including the golf course, actually, which is a similar one where you can only have one per city. Yeah, and it doesn't get its bonus from water parks, which kind of sucks <laughs> because water parks and entertainment complexes are like interchangeable for like everything else in the game. Mm. But, oh well. Uh, what else does uh, Sweden get? They get a Queen's Bibliotheque unique building, which looks like it's a government plaza building. I don't know if it replaces any of the current buildings or it if you doesn't get it. It, replace it. it doesn't replace it, but <clears throat> it does take up that slot. So it you have a choice between slot four the... buildings instead of just three? Yes. For it, for the second government type. So it means you have to choose between that and like the foreign intelligence, for example. Right. Yeah, the one that gives you extra spy, and then I forget what the other two buildings do. Uh, there's a theater. There's a religion, uh, a religion one, right? One yeah, and, and uh, something else. A conquistador one. I think one, by I the think. time. Yeah. But I think by the time you get to that point, you'll decide whether or not you're doing a culture victory or not. If you're not doing culture victory, then you don't do that one. But we can still talk about the Queen's Bibliotheque if you are doing a culture victory. Which, I, 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 Unless you get some modifiers that gives you like other yields from great works. So if you're getting something else from the great works, then maybe it's it's worth doing regardless of victory type. Yeah. Two new great works of two work, two great work slots for any type of art. Next. And it should be noted that anything that has great work slots that goes up to three great work slots will be automatically themed. And wonders right. that have two uh, great work slots will automatically be themed so and that is go- part of christina's ability right yes which yeah. is kind of kind of funny if you are a hardcore england fan because they took that ability out of england and then gave it to sweden so. which i would assume means england's getting a new ability do we know what that is yeah they're getting plus two extra resources of iron and coal per turn from mines and such like that. Oh, which right. Okay. It's probably better for building units anyway, but. Well, it just makes them not as artistic uh, anymore. I yep, don't know if they're... it's better or not. Well, I guess we won't know until we find out, you know, how hard it is to get decent stockpiles of resources and build lots of units. You get like and one that's... or two per turn from a, a mine, so I think they get double. Yeah, and I don't know how much units <clears throat> cost or whether there's upkeep or whether buildings consume any of these resources, so. It hasn't seemed to have been a problem in the streams so far where it's like, oh man, we can't get this resource that we want so i i don't know don't they always like kind of set up the streams a like, little with bit a specific map and 
stuff so, like that. Yeah, yeah, they seem to do a little bit of that. I know that they they don't start in the ancient era, so. But there's also, I guess, the potential for England to trade off resources. But we're not talking about England today, right? So anyway, we were talking about uh, Christina's ability, Minerva of the North, which is extra great work slots in the. Uh, well, no, it's not extra great work slots, but if you have three or more in any building, it's automatically themed, and any wonders that have two are automatically themed when both are filled. So that's very uh, very cool culture power. And then the civilization ability is Nobel Prize. When earning a great person, Sweden receives additional diplomatic favor. I don't know if we know how diplomatic favor works yet. A little bit now. Um, it w- would you like me to tell a, a little bit? Um, From the streams, I got a lot more information about this and that you generate diplomatic favor by your government type. Um, Similar to envoys? No, it's more like if you have a level one government, then you are generating one. If you are at your uh, level four type government, then you are getting four. But also, and this is why you're going to want more alliances in your game. If you're a, if you have an alliance with someone who has a level two government, then you're also generating two diplomatic points per, per turn, as well as you know whatever your alliance member is uh, also getting. So you're going to want alliances. You're going to want to get those diplomatic favors. You so also that you get can spend them. you also get one from suzerain of, of each city state. Yeah, there's there's suzerains bonuses. There's some wonders I believe that also give you diplomatic yes. uh, points. So there's. There's some stuff, but the ones that really caught up to me was your government type and your alliance's government type. So to get most of your uh, your diplomatic diplomatic power. And do we know what we use it for? For spending stuff for the the sessions, which which appear to come every twenty five turns in the in the World Congress on standard speed, include and not not including any uh, special emergencies that come up. Oh, do so, they tie the emergencies to the World Congress mechanic? No, oh, yes. no, no, it, no, no. Yes. Oh, sorry. You, yes. It, when you de- trigger an emergency, there is the World Congress gets together for a special session and they decide they have one thing that they're allowed to decide on and what that's whether or not to declare an emergency. Anyone who votes to declare an emergency and it passes are the ones who are, you're going to fight. And anyone who votes no will not be involved in the emergency. Right. It's a special session. Yeah. That sounds like a neat way of triggering them. And something interesting about that as well is I don't have the exact idea of how this works, but like if you try to pass something and you fail, you get your diplo points back. Yes. Which, and the thing about that that kind of makes me think, you know, hmm, that's kind of weird, is that kind of makes me think about rubber banding. It was designed such that one nation couldn't completely dominate and have nobody else any chance. Yes, that's what it said on the stream. But the first thing I thought was, um, huh, that sounds like rubber banding. But now that we have the numbers, Christina being able to get 50 every time they get a, every time she gets a great person sounds pretty good. Yeah, that does sound like a lot. So she can. can She'll probably be able to control a little more than you normally would, because it seems that every each vote costs ten diplomatic points. But also, if you want to raise the amount of votes you specifically get, you get a rising number. Like it's going to rise if you try to do, get two. If you try to get three, it's going to be even higher. So you know, it's an exponential to, system. Yeah, exponential. So you can force a vote if you really want to, and Christina's a, a, a good candidate for that. Oh, she and, won't vote multiple times on a single thing if you want it to pass? Is that everybody, what you're everybody can, but each each vote past the first one costs extra diplomatic favor. Okay. 
and every vote, every subsequent vote increases the amount of favor you need to cast it. And that includes voting yourself as the world leader, where you you need to get 10 votes to get that. And some of that can also be through the tech tree, some of it through wonders, apparently. But a lot of it is just being able to use favors to make yourself the world leader. So they explained a little more about how the diplomatic victory works. You need 10 victory points, and yes. you get those by by special session voting or World's Congress voting. And Statue of Liberty gives you a victory point. Yeah, that was so interesting to, to hear. So you have to get the diplomatic victory slowly over time rather than it just being one vote and the game's over. Yes. That is a much better way of handling that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The World the world Congress also starts in the medieval era. Yes. So. Oh, it's not tied to meeting all the civs in the game? That's correct. No, it is start the, med- uh, the medieval era and you're ready to go. No. No. Even if you haven't met it, uh, met the person. So <laughs> Apostolic Palace for free, right? <laughs> well, I don't think they start. I don't I, did it, I, don't, I don't remember. Did they start when telling when you can start the the world leader thing? It's probably modern. I don't know. I think it was industrial. Maybe. But yeah, you're not going to have the points until uh, quite a while, I'd uh, imagine. You can also trade it like you could trade diplomatic favors in Beyond Earth. Basically, you trade it for something and they'll give you a certain amount of stuff for it. Yeah, it's like a currency. But, you know, by doing that, you, of course, forfeit your ability to do your edicts in uh, the World Congress. So you got to balance what you can do. It's just like gold, except a little more what you're going to do with it. Sweden also has a few other things. Um, right. They get, apparently they get extra great engineer points and great scientist points from factories and universities, respectively. And they get some unique World Congress competitions in the industrial era if Sweden is in the game. So I'm assuming that's going to work kind of like the Civ Five had like the World's Fair and the International Space Station, stuff like that. I'm yeah. guessing maybe it's things like it's that. Board competitions, basically. Yeah, and there's three of them. And we've seen one of them pretty clearly. And Ed said the other two, but I don't remember them. But the one that we've seen a lot is, I don't remember the name of it, but he, uh, she can force a, she, she can vote for this World's Fair. I don't, I don't remember what it's called, but it makes, it, it makes the leader generate more great musicians and great people in general. That would be so, the Nobel Prize in Yeah, Nobel arts. Prize. Does Sweden get to decide when these competitions come into play or do they it's, just automatically happen? It seems to be that when a special session or not when when a normal session occurs that happens every 20, uh, 25 turns at the bottom, she can vote for that to start. OK, so, so she has like control so she can start it when it's, you know, best for her. It seems to be. Yes. That's so a, like that could be powerful. Yes, because she'll be able to say, OK, I'm going to roll up my uh, my campuses and OK, now we're ready to go. Yeah, I've got all the infrastructure in place. Now we can start this competition. Now we can start, yeah. <laughs> so she'll have a little bit of an, a say in whether or not she's going to get that win on that. But it's not, you know, it's not automatic, and that's nice. She can trigger it, but not not win it. Um, I think the other one might have been city-state related. I don't remember. There were two, two other ones. Well, the other ones were, there's the Nobel Peace Prize, the Nobel Prize in arts and Nobel Prize in science. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. The... I don't remember what the what they all do specifically. Yeah. Let's see if Well I of Souls kind of glossed knows. over it in the stream and I don't remember it at this point. Oh well. But one thing that also helps for that particular Nobel Prize thing is that factories and universities give you two great people points instead of just one. That was where I was getting the 
yeah. science flavoring from because I saw the extra great scientists and I thought, oh, she must be a science civ. Right. And well, then I, mean, I didn't look at the rest of the stuff. <laughs> well, that's fine. But it does it does help her get closer toward that, that Nobel Prize thing. So she's going to get more great people out of it. And that's why she's a pretty good candidate for the diplomatic victory. The thing is, though, like a lot of people are saying, oh, my gosh, she has way too many powerful bonuses. But the way I see it, in order to... They're saying, oh, my gosh, she's a cultural powerhouse. She's got uh, uh, science, uh, great sciences, but and, you know, she's got the engineers. The way I see it, though, um, good luck trying to put that in every city and also be able to afford it. Because in order to really focus on that, you want your main cities to have commercial hubs, you want campuses, you want industrial zones, and you want theater squares. And that's right. 10 pop. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you try to do everything, you're not going to do good at any one thing. Right. And that's not including the one pop that's going to be maintaining the open air music. One thing that she might be real good at is she might be good at kind of uh, staying in contention for every victory. And then like at the end of the game, like being like, all right, I'm going to settle on one and go for it. Right. And I think that that's uh, one of the really uh, good, strong things about the uh, bibliotheque is that by the time you get there, you can get an idea of, okay, which one am I going to go for? Am I going to go for culture? If not, then I can you know, go for uh, the foreign intelligence one instead. And that's, that's good. It seems like a lot of Sweden stuff is pointy. I mean, you get some culture in the beginning from the open air museums and when you get to that point, but their advantages seem to cut in, in medieval to industrial or later, you still have to ask Sweden to survive the first part of the game before mm. you really get powerful. Right. Yeah. They're seem like a powerful late game sieve. Mm -hmm. And so let's see. So they're pretty good at culture diplomatic and science victories how about faith or military what's their unique unit the Corollian mm -hmm. is an anti-cav unit so that already doesn't sound promising well uh, like replaces the pike and shot which sounds like a new unit looks like there might be a picture there is that the pikeman with a gun we've had pike and shot for a while it's it's from rise and fall oh my goodness well that just shows how often i build anti-cav <laughs> units in rise so, and fall yeah i've forgotten um, that was in the game it's, yeah it, it's uh, a counter to the night which we yeah. didn't have Previously. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a good addition, but I still rarely ever build them because anti-cav units generally aren't that great. So Sweden gets a unique one. Hopefully they are better balanced than in the vanilla game or Rise and Fall so that it is more useful. And it has faster movement and receives additional combat strength for each unused movement point. Mm -hmm. So the, if you're standing exact, on a tile and you attack, then I guess you're stronger. The exact numbers, if I recall from the video, was you get one extra movement, which is quite nice because you have a, a melee, essentially, unit doing three. And it seemed to be plus three combat strength per unused tile. So it kind of reminds me a lot of the Wing to Sar, actually. Yeah, does that include when you are defending? So if you're fortified in a fort on a hill, do you get the fortification bonus plus bonuses for the fact that you didn't move? I don't know, but since you didn't move, I don't think you get it because it's only if you move. Okay. I didn't want you to take this unit around and go hunting down the cavalry. Yeah, right. yeah. It's it's a really good way to, to deal with knights. Definitely, I, I definitely I like it because there ha it's like the first the first unique unit that actually has co extra combat strength uh, in this expansion so far. Like the the Mali or sorry, not, not the Mali the no not the Moroccans the gold one is that. Molly or Molly, yeah, yeah, the Molly and Canada also like don't have actual strength bonuses, and that kind I of annoys me. I think the Canadian one did have a strength bonus, but it was near national parks. Yeah, you're near a national park inside your borders. Yes, okay. The thing I don't like about that Canada thing is like you're 
you're expected to go out and save people in emergencies, but you don't actually have any combat bonus to go with it. But I whatever. guess that's unless Canada. the person you're trying to save has a lot of national parks, and that's why you're trying to save them. <laughs> Canada seems like a save the whales civilization. <laughs> I'm, I'm just imagining a Mountie <laughs> just like parks. jumping on top of a, a national park just to save it uh, for the emergency. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like the unit. Yeah, the is one of the not having faster movement is one of the things that oftentimes stops me from building anti-cav units because mm. you got to just camp them somewhere and hope that the anti-cav runs into them because you sure as heck are not chasing the knight down yeah i mean unless you're you know using zone of control and you know you've got that sort of thing set up but you know a lot of times just like well you know i can't get to the knight so there's no point in having this unit I'd rather just have another night. Yeah, unless you've got the map I got last weekend playing during Turncast where I had two narrow mountain passes that I could have blocked Poland off from if they'd survived long enough to have the Hussars and I could have parked <laughs> the Carolines or Pike and shot in there and went, yeah, try and come at me, bro. <laughs> yeah, if you've got a bottleneck, then the anti-cab units are pretty good, especially if you can take the, uh, you know, because they're also flexible, because if you know that your opponent is coming at you with melee units, then you take the promotion that gives you bonuses versus melee units, and then mm -hmm. you're, you're in pretty good shape there. So overall... Uh... Thoughts on that one? Sounds pretty powerful. Very versatile. Yeah, yeah. something to, and something to counter knights because at the point the AI gets those, those can be really annoying. Yeah, I it's, it was it's, safe, but the knight rushed in. Crap. It's always nice to have a, a good counter to to knights. Oh, I'm not convinced. Really? No. Well, it's well, an anti-cab unit, which means that you're gonna have to use anti-cab unit line consistently if you're building this. Yeah, that uh, is a thing where you actually have to start with spears instead of warriors. Yeah, they aren't so good against a lot of things. And then once you're done with your unique pike and shot, what are you going into again? I and mean, it's usable, maybe, but I, I don't know that I, that I would call it powerful. It'll be a different thing if you want to play with it rather than just doing the same melee or knights all the time. I think the DNA combat bonus plus the speed makes it so I would still use it for a little while. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but I still wouldn't kick it out of bed. Mm, we'll see. I, I think it's okay. I would not say it's strong. No, I'm not saying it's really strong. I'm just saying it's it's better than some of the other uh, unique units I've seen in this expansion. Maybe. Some of them with units that you would normally use or that are already pretty good in their base form. So even a small bonus on them means that they're even better just by merit of being something you'd use regularly. Yeah, so uh, you're saying that instead of it turns a mediocre unit into something that's viable to a normal warrior. Yeah, basically. Or not a warrior, but the warrior line. Nice against night spam, though. A night spam is, uh, at least in right now, uh, quite strong. So Yeah, and I was in, in the... Uh, we'll get to the Ottoman stream, but I saw, you know, there's still... The AI still loves knights. They love pumping only knights. <laughs> so well, now that they have the uh, the way that the new resources work, they can rebalance that by maybe making knights more expensive, so you can't field as many of them. You know, in terms of resource cost. That's true. The Ottoman so stream was fighting Hungary, which had their unique unit that was a knight, wasn't it? There they was were using hussars. There was a little bit of black army, but there was like sixty percent were just knights, from what I saw. we uh, cover the stream sufficiently or do we want to talk more about that specifically because uh, I actually have not gotten around to watching the streams yet. The one thing... Oh, yeah. Phil, did you watch it? No, I don't watch the stream. I don't like okay. Then there were a few things that I picked up that I really liked. Pill pillaging actually scales now. What they showed was, you know, this was renaissance and some pillaging was actually doing like yields up to like 180, you know, 200. It was actually scaling 
properly so that I think Ed was saying if you pillage, you should be getting about the yield of about one eighth of a tech or civic. Yeah, it's not like 25 at turn 200 now. No, it's scaling, so it's actually helpful uh, the, at, at any time. In the early game, it's almost half a tech, though, because the way it scales, it's it, it's worth more in the early game. And in the later game, it becomes less useful, but it doesn't need to be as useful because there are more total tiles on the map to pillage. But right. they said it's that not the, static anymore. the tech cost goes up at a rate of 25 times over the game, whereas the rate of pillage goes up by 10 times so that was in the video and that was really exciting another thing in the video was well i guess i talked a little bit about with the civ the diplomatic overview but alliances contribute one-to-one with diplo favor so if you don't ally with everyone or you don't ally with anyone and other and other people do then you're never going to get the diplo um power to really get your stuff passed so you're going to want alliances do we know if you get anything just for declared friendships i don't think that came up they won't go against you in emergencies probably i mean like you get is it like one favor or something for a friendship i don't think so i think only alliances have anything to do with the diplo stuff can you ask the other civs to vote on specific things do we know that because that was in i think civ 5 right you could bribe them to vote your way in the Congress? Ed was actually kind of trying to avoid that question, but I think his answer was no. His answer uh, was a, was basically, you can you can know what's going to happen, but you can't change what's going to happen. I like you could go to them and ask them what they're intending to vote. Yeah, because actually in the diplomatic screen, you'll be able to see, I guess if you have enough diplomatic visibility, it'll show what they're leaning toward before the vote happens. So, so another maybe, use for spies. Yeah, and maybe there's no direct way to influence them, but maybe we have other ways through spies or doing things that will push them the other way, perhaps? I don't know. But I don't think you can actually uh, directly affect it. Yeah, you can't go slide a stack of 100 gold. Here, you could vote for <laughs> me on the Nobel Peace Prize, right? Right. I think that was probably a, a, a bad design in Civ Five that I think they don't want to do that in Civ Six. Yeah. Well, yeah, gold was way too powerful in, in Civ Five for everything, for city-states and bribing other civs. And oh, it's so pretty useful now. Well, part of it is because you vote on the World Congress thing in the same turn that it comes up. There's yeah. no turn-by-turn mm. rollover for them to do that. Well, and also, if I remember correctly, the World Congress in Civ Five was each civ only got one vote, right? Until later so in now, the game, yeah. Yeah, and then, well, I think it was still that way, but you could just, no, never mind, I'm, I'm wrong. Well, but it was like it was like an even number of votes, right, for every civ. Like, yeah, yeah, you got more to spread around different things, but I think everyone had, like, the same or about the same. So at least in this, you can, like, stockpile votes. So even yeah, if you you're can... not able to influence another civ to vote the way you want to vote if you really want something passed you can stockpile the favor or apparently trade for it you know sell them resources you know money or whatever in exchange for diplomatic favor and then use that to get it passed yeah you can stockpile uh, your diplo if there's going to be something you really really want in the future as well a few little tidbits from the stream we get better map pins tunnels can be used by the barbarians so that'll be fun tunnels uh, cannot be pillaged yeah, so I was going to say, luckily they can't be pillaged, though, so... There are some, <laughs> Automatically kills the unit inside. There are some policies which make it easier to spoil someone's diplo- diplomatic victory. Christina's agenda is she likes great works, like Pedro likes great people. And there so are, she's going to... Oh, so she's going to do like Pedro and pop in and taunt me all the time for not having great works from like turn one? Yeah, well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, she doesn't have any, then she can't be talking. 
about you either. And then, of course, Congo is going to come by and ask why you haven't spread your religion to him yet. Speaking of religions, there are no new preset religions. No, no new great people. Apparently, Norway gets a buff. Yeah, but they didn't really show it, if I don't recall. The pillage was the Norway buff. I think they also said that, the, well, I was about to say the next one, but the only other Civ we haven't seen yet is Phoenicia, so apparently they have another pillaging thing, but I don't know, we'll figure it out. Yes, the overly heavy-handed purple tie and purple pillow was kind of obvious, but, you know, <laughs> like, like during the Sweden stream, they had books about the Ottomans on the table, and one of them was resting their feet on an Ottoman. Yeah. But um, bump. Speaking of things we're resting our feet on, Ottomans. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you, phone. I know I need to drink water. Everybody's favorite, Sule- Suleiman. Suleiman. Silly man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, his particular unique ability is the Grand Vizier, which unlocks a special governor, Ibrahim, his own unique promotion tree, and it's the only governor you can establish in another civilization. I think this also has to be you can't be at war with him, right? With him. And it must be the capital. Don't think I. Unless. Whoop, I'm going to. I, too, am going to have to go to Well of Souls. <laughs> Does it have the details? I am a little bummed that this makes it seem like the uh, existing diplomat governor cannot be placed in other civilizations, because that's something that I wish Rise and Fall let you do. Personally, I want the Civ V's espionage system back, but... Uh, we'll discuss among yourselves while I try to get the page to come up. I'll give you a uh, link. I can start. I mean, I think it's really good that Forax has designed a domination Civ that's actually creatively different than other domination Civs. I mean, there's been a lot of previous domination Civs that were just like, okay, uh, we're going to give you a better swordsman and we're going to give you something that helps your amenities and we're done here i like that the ottomans have a lot more creativity into it with the governor i like uh having earlier uh privateer unit i like the janissary unit sorry janissary unit and <laughs> you broke the rules you're right i don't think i told mackie we're gonna call the <laughs> the janissary the janissary that's fine we'll rename it dan's not here we're renaming things Mm-hmm. I like it makes me want to build catapults, which normally I don't usually like the catapults. I'd rather use archers. But catapults, one of the promotions that you get from the unique governor is plus 10 bonus against districts within 10 on the tiles. side within 10 tiles, which is quite a lot. If you have a na- if it's next to a neighboring city, you're going to get it. And um, also you have plus five on the other side of the trees, plus five combat bonus against when you're defending against an attack, which is good because the Ottomans don't really have any bonuses otherwise toward being attacked by the Aztec or you have to attack the Aztec or Macedon or Scythia or Nubia or something like that. So it's nice to have that particular part of the governor tree to get plus plus five combat on defense. Gives you an opportunity to take your first city, which you kind of want by the time you get to the Renaissance, be, so that you can get your can get your Janissaries. The Janissary can be can be created without that pop cost in two conditions. Actually, I learned today. We already knew that if you do it in a city that you've that you've captured, you don't lose the the pop cost on the Danisari, but you also can upgrade swordsmen to Danisaries and not lose the pop, which I was not I was not expecting that. I was expecting that any upgrade would also cost, cost that. But, but see, it doesn't know necessarily where it came from, so it can't assign you the population cost. Well, I assumed it would be whatever city you upgraded in, but well, but you don't have to upgrade it in the city. 
unless they changed that rule and made it so that you had to go back to a city or an encampment or something like that in order to upgrade a unit, but I think that would be unnecessarily prohibitive. You already have to go back to your own land. Yeah, so you just, you're in your own land, so it doesn't know what city. Your allied land, mm-hmm. sure. Anyway, I was saying that I think you can also get uh, upgrades in friendly and allied territory as well. Yes. Oh, I always thought it was... Okay, I thought it was only um, in allied. Okay. I've noticed that sometimes it's weird. Like, I I've, I think I've seen, like, instances where, like, I, it wouldn't let me upgrade naval units in some cases. And I'm like, oh, we're friends or allies. I'm pretty sure I should be able to do this. But other than that, I'm pretty sure you can always do that. I don't think you can do it in city-state, in your suzerain city-states, though. Mm. But I could be wrong about that. <clears throat> so, yeah, you don't have to send your swordsman back to a city in order to upgrade it. You can leave it in allied territory or something. Did you find the governor stuff, Mackie? Yeah, the list of the, the promotions there. Oops, and I put it on the wrong window. Again, I'm very good at this. I'm an experienced yes. podcaster. <laughs> so his initial produ- uh, blah, blah, blah. promotion gives you plus 20 protection to all military units in the city. Then you can go down one side where you have Head Falconer that gives all friendly units fighting within the city territory plus five combat strength. And the next one I'm not going to try and pronounce, but it was when he's established in an allied foreign capital, the alliance leveling takes less time. Kas Odabashi. Okay, thank you. I'll let you pronounce it. Yeah, you can take the hit, Candice. Kapu- yeah, you, you, Mackie you, doesn't you, want to. You take the pronoun. <laughs> yeah. The next one is Kapo Agaha. Agaha. Yeah. Well, it's also got the Saraskar on top yeah, of it. Yeah, Saraskar. Yeah. Which grants all units within 10 tiles of the city center plus 10 combat strength when attacking defensible districts. Yep. So that's good if you were on it. He has to go in the capital, so... It, n- huh. it, it no, goes no, no, in no. your own cities that are close to the to the battlefront. Yeah. Yeah, oh, you, okay, put it, okay. you put it in your, your attacking city that you're attacking with, so it has a, you know, it has a... Well, that makes more sense. If he's on a front-line city, I was thinking if he mm-hmm. was in the other capital for the other stuff and you had this, it's like, wait a minute. But yeah, no, he's, it's he's two versatile. Different he's versatile in that way. You can make him a diplomat or a, a war general, generally. Or, yeah, I do, uh, basically. I do like that that can go both ways. So if you mm-hmm. are in a peaceful game, he's not wasted. Mm-hmm. He also only takes three turns to establish, like Victor, so that helps. Yeah. Right. It also should be noted that all of the, I don't know if it's all the bonuses, but I think it's all the bonuses. Even if you give that governor to another civ, they actually get that bonus. That means that if you give it to a foreign nation, they are actually getting the 20% bonus toward unit production. And I think that's going to help with uh, Diplo, actually. Yeah, because the next one is also another one where it's established in a foreign capital. Your grievances against the city owner are reduced by one more per turn. So you, you send him over there and it helps build their military. And then they're like, well, OK, you're not so bad. <laughs> Since I play with the multiplayer so much, my first thought is this is going to be great because everybody's going to shuffle around. Oh, not everybody, but who, somebody's going to play Ottomans and then shuffle it around. And then somebody who's having trouble is going to get that extra production against for their military and stuff you know it's actually very helpful in a cooperative multiplayer game too That'd be great for yeah. team games it also, yeah it can also Wait. sort of act as a secondary uh, cultural alliance in terms of preventing loyalty between friends because mm. it the final yeah, promotion on his last one yeah none of the owner cities exert loyalty pressure on your cities basically you can get the cultural alliance without actually having to be at the status where you could get an alliance <laughs> with that civ yeah that's true have it with with two other civs effectively but you can also use it as a way to prevent them from being able to loyalty flip you well that's why you would use it yeah 
Well, I mean, for other reasons, I guess. I imagine there's Diplo reasons to do it, but maybe not. Well, the Diplo reason is so you don't have to go to war with your ally to get your city back. It'll probably also help if you're fighting in a common war and you're like conquering cities that belong to someone else that neighbors your allied civ. You won't have to worry about oh, them. Oh, so it won't flip over. Yeah. Yeah, they're not going to flip that city after you conquered it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that would be another thing that'd be useful for. Uh, I could also see this maybe working in sort of like a world policeman kind of capacity if you do end up for whatever reason. <laughs> doing a, pe- a peacemonger game where you're just using your military to like shut down other players conquest you could give this governor to a weaker civ so that they can build a stronger military to defend themselves yeah in, in order exactly. to prevent a runaway or something you know if you don't have the military ability to confront them directly you can hopefully give it to another civ so that they can slow that other steamrolling civ down of course whether or not they actually use it to build military units eh. well, i mean even but yeah, i can't uh, you can't force them to build in the military. I mean, you're also giving them the other uh, bonuses, which is the, the you know strength in, in defensible terrain and also better siege units. So that that'll right. help so, them. So if you are in one of those games where you're in and out of wars all the time, and you just have that one civ that you're really good friends with, who's your one trading partner, and everyone else hates you, and then they all pick on that one civ, you can send him there and be like, let hey, that- buddy. Right. Hey, I'm not going to send any units, but here, this will make your units better. I have questions, you know, because uh, I don't use catapults that much, but with 10% or not 10%, but t- plus 10 bonus with catapults, are you lot more likely to build catapults now? Because usually I just build archers. Well, it depends on how you're sieging the city, because from the live stream of the Ottomans, it was quite apparent that the catapult versus city walls that were relatively defensible did not do near anywhere near as much damage as the Janissary with the battering ram well it was also a strength 60 city and then next was an 80 city so like it was a really really high high uh, strength city but by the time <laughs> the renaissance comes around that's what the city strengths are going to be so Not updated was- by that you should be very close to bombards by the time talking city strength 60 to 80 if you don't already have bombards yeah i don't understand why he didn't have bombards these um, units would also be much better if they added a medieval like trebuchet or something so that when the AIs do or the, your opponents do get up to medieval walls, your catapults don't suddenly become useless. <clears throat> yeah, well, I mean, you can still upgrade it and bombards will still have the plus 10. Yeah, it's very odd that we don't have trebuchets because we've had them for so many times before. And like, where are they? Well, and they're in the opening cinematics for the game. So at least for the, I think the <laughs> yeah. Rise and Fall expansion so... has a siege. They're shooting trebuchets. And I thought for sure that meant, oh, this means there's going to be trebuchets in the game. And no, not yet. No, but apparently no. That's going to be in a DLC for $5. This yes. is a DLC, though. No, I'm talking about just, like, DLC specifically for, for a trebuchet. Uh, you got to get the trebuchet from a loot box. That's where the industry's going. Oh, not loot box. So far, Civ has avoided that, thank goodness. Yes, amen. <laughs> well, I was about to talk about the constant $5 DLC. That we haven't mil- had for almost a year and a half now? No, I was actually going to refer to Civ 5, but uh, Civ 6 has been a little better. Yeah, Civ 5, they kept throwing out, like, the map packs and stuff like that, too. Mm-hmm. So what else do the Ottomans have? Well, they've got units. Um, I like the idea of the Corsair because it, it comes earlier and it helps pillage stuff a little better. I don't usually build privateers, though. Oh, isn't I love it, privateers. Isn't I love it just them. later era version of the Viking longboat? Probably. So it's a duplicate. So Norway is even more useless. Well, do keep in mind, though, that there are not any medieval naval units. 
So having an earlier naval unit will allow you to potentially dominate the seas because no everyone else just has galleys and triremes or Viking longships. Yeah, right. but but because they are basically the same ability as the longship, they are much better. Yeah, they're a better relative to era. Right, but and and I think its placement, you know, in where you get it in or when you get it in the game is probably what's going to make it the most valuable. Yeah, I was really hoping that they'd add a medieval naval unit or two, and I was specifically hoping for just the Corsair to be a unit that everybody has access to. But that's unfortunately not the case. But I look forward to using this in games as the uh, Ottomans. That'll be fun because this is uh, I, I do really like privateers. Of uh, one of my favorite things to do in the game is when I get up to having privateers and rangers. I like to just have my privateer escort the ranger across the map and go find all those little barbarian encampments that spawn, you know, on the poles and on little islands out in the middle of nowhere that nobody's colonized yet just for the, you know, free gold. <laughs> on the yeah, Arctic barrier islands. Yeah, because normally I, I don't I don't build privateers, but I also think I'm losing a lot of gold from those uh, tribal uh, huts and all that stuff by not doing yeah, that. Yeah, you can also get tribal huts as well if there's any left in the game. Do we know for sure if this can go in oceans, the Barbary Corsair? Yes. Yes, it does. Cool. So it makes it also you know a point where you can find your neighbors pretty early. Right, if, you might you might get this out even before caravels. That's a good reason. Even if you're playing peacefully, you can get a couple of them out to meet the neighbors. Coastal raids also do not incur movement costs. Yes, that's a yeah. meat in scare quotes. Mm-hmm. Oops, was that your trade route? My bad. Oopsie dips. Pretty yeah. map. Well, and also because of the pillaging uh, change, you know, that's actually a lot of resources you can get from it. Yeah, that's assuming that the the coastal raids scale similarly to pillaging. I would assume they do. Oh, I'm but sure. it is a they do. They, they did show that in uh, okay. the stream, so, yeah. And yeah, you can also use the coastal raids for taking out barbarian encampments that are on the coast and also for claiming uh, tribal villages, so. Mm-hmm. That helps. Then we got the then we got the Tanisaries. <laughs> Tanisari. Yeah, okay, so you would want to be able to get the Tanisari out, and in order to do that, you kind of need to, well, I guess I would originally have said, look, you need to take out a, a neighbor as soon as possible so that you can build them, because otherwise you can't build them, because you can't do it in friendly territory, but now or that you can... get an early city-state. Yeah, that's true, too. You can take a city-state out, but yeah, now that we know that you can just upgrade them from swordsmen, that's that gives a little more option on that. Though, yeah, I guess you still need the Niter because you would need that. But yeah, they're yeah. actually pretty strong units. I don't remember all the bonuses they have. And and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point they, you know, patch out the the upgrade from Swordsman. Really? Because they yeah, actually well, put it, in, the, in the stream, they made it so you actually didn't remove the Swordsman because they wanted to make sure that you could have the Swordsman and the Danisari just in case. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that what they didn't do is make this not replace the Musketman so it's a unit that you build in addition to musketmen because you know some other civs have unique units that are like that where they don't replace a unit they're just yeah. in addition to the regular units and then you would have to build them from scratch i'm surprised they didn't do that with this particular characteristic of this unit i am surprised as well i'm kind of hoping this means that they're gonna go back and go to some of the earlier base units that you had to build from scratch like the wing tassar and all that which were a pain in the to build hopefully they're changing that i don't know and i i think in the last episode we said unique units do now cost resources 
Yes. yes. Which is so. probably one of the reasons they decided not to just go away with Swordsman. It's like, you can upgrade both just in case you, the Niter is not enough. And that's good, because I would not want to have to hard build Stannis Aries. Overall, I think the strength... I mean, does anyone else have anything to say on that? No, just that I'm glad that there's a way to get them built without necessarily sacrificing your population. You know, build the Sora's upgrade later. Yeah, God, because like the first time we I heard that and it's saying like, oh, uh, you lose a population every time you build one. It's like, oh, they better be really strong then. <laughs> Either really strong or you've got an alternate method for us to do this because wow. What, what, wow. What they, like, holy is, crap. what they could have done is made it so that raising cities like takes a certain number of turns, like the way it worked in Civ Five, and then you just build your Janissaries while you're raising the city. They also get a free promotion on upgrade from Swordsman. Which is good. The, the melee line is always good. Yeah, that says to me they knew we would be more likely to take the Swordsman upgrade route. Did we mention the Grand Bazaar? No, we yeah. had not. And Yeah, it requires the commercial hub and a market. It's a unique one. It, building, accumulate one extra strategic resource for every type of different every different type of strategic resource that the city has improved. I, and you also receive plus one luxury for every luxury resource the city has improved. Yes, for each one, which means if you have yeah. a, lot, a lot of them, that helps. Ooh, so, bye-bye amenity problems. <laughs> yeah, seriously, wow. Also, Suleiman's uh, what is it? Diplomatic flavor ability, I forget the name of that. He likes players who have cities that were not founded by themselves. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> translation, he likes you to conquer the crap out of everything. Thing. There is something that I, I want to say about the that bizarre change is because one of the reasons that the amenity thing is going to be so good is because you don't lose pop from taking cities from as the Ottomans. Oh, if it's a pop 10 city and you take it, then it's still pop 10. So if you're making the mistake of conquering a lot of cities and then building your Janissaries in your own cities, you're going to have huge conquered cities and tiny native cities. Oops, that's bad for my culture, isn't it? Well, my capital's at one population, but all my conquered cities are at 20. So fine. It'll be fine. It's really going to be dependent on the amount of hammers that the land has to work with when you start. Because if like you're just if you're starting in planes and you need to take another sieve as pos- as soon as possible, and it's Macedon or Aztec or something like that, then it's going to be tough. It's going to be a lot more tough than other starts. Yeah, I think the capital is is going to be really dependent on how on how strong the, the Ottomans are going to be. Because I think you can have an awful Ottoman game if you're just stuck in mainly uh, grasslands and plains and not enough hills. What's production? What's production? You want that before the Renaissance so that you can smash things with Danisaries. Yeah. So you get to smashing the better. There's a lot more ways to conquer your enemies with the Ottomans. It's not like, uh, you get a swordsman and here's some amenities and whatever. I don't think they'll be top tier, but they'll be fun to play, which is probably the better design choice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I, I don't think they're as strong as others, but I think I would be much more willing to work to play with them. I almost said work with them, which is <laughs> <laughs> not as, not exactly the same thing. Well, you might um, want to do that too because they are, might send you that the shiny governor of theirs. It would be really nice if there are a way to if you're not playing as the Ottomans, and the Ottomans are in your game and you're friendly or allied with them. It would be really nice if the game included a way to ask them to send you that governor. Oh yeah. Just yeah, like be, I really wish there were ways for you to ask for other civs to send you missionaries and stuff like that. Oh, that's a really good idea. If, if the Ottomans aren't using it and you're like, oh my god, I'm I'm about 
to get attacked and I really need that production. Can you help me out? Yeah, it'd be cool if they could like add that to the trade screen or something like that. You give them a bunch of gold or diplomatic favor or resources or whatever. And it's like, bring me that governor, baby. <laughs> can I hire your governor, please? Yeah, can I hire your governor, please? That'll be 500 gold, sir. And then, you know, there's other legacy civs, like I think India, where you want other civs to send you missionaries and Congo, where you want other players missionaries. And then like it always so happens whenever you play as those civs, nobody wants to send you any missionaries. And you're like, please? Or I'll you're last on it. the list. <laughs> Because they have like that discuss option in the diplomacy screen. Like, let's use that for something constructive, other than making promises that the AIs will never agree to or uphold. Actually, that makes a perfect segue because our next topic is ideas for additional diplomatic interactions in Civ 6. Yeah, I read that. Some of them were pretty good. Hey, I haven't introduced the topic yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying they were good. How would you you like to talk about how good they were? Introduction complete. So basically the idea is uh, we got a lot of interesting things from previous civs that we would like to see or have added to Civ 6, things like state religion or state ideology, modified a bit from Civ 4 and Civ 5 because they were a little bit overpowering. And then third-party peace deals, which we've always been able to do. Packs of secrecy, something that makes it actually do something. Not, no <laughs> idea how that would how that would actually behave because we never knew what it was supposed to do in the first place. And then multi-na- multilateral military alliances that become available with something like Cold War give us a chance to have more than one military ally, or have big nation blocks that fight each other. City-state protectorate, you know, give it a chance to protect, pledge to protect city-states, and actually have a way to say, hey, Civ, stop doing that to my city-state, and then bring back Dan's old favorite, city-state bullying. (laughs) The next one on this list is a little bit weird, because city-state quests actually exist already, but they want ones like they are in Civ Five, and that punish the player if they don't get fulfilled. I don't know so much about that one. That seems... Uh, some of those conditions is like, you can get them, but you, sometimes you have to go out of your way for it. And why should... I don't get why you're punishing for that quest. Those quests are not meant to be... It's an additional bonus if you can complete those quests. It's not. It, I don't think it was, they were ever intended to be something that you would want to punish people for not doing. Because does the AI get something like that if they complete a quest? They to get give them? An, an envoy. Okay, but they, okay, so they can still do it too. So it's not like we're it's a human only thing. And yeah, I don't, I don't see why you don't want punishment for that. Honestly, I liked a lot of the ones that Monster Cat actually uh, brought up. I, I do actually miss the packs of secrecy. I, I would like to see something like that come back. Maybe not the exact same thing since it didn't work too great in in Civ 5, but I think the concept of being able to agree with another player that, hey, we don't like this third Civ, let's team up against him, that's a really great thing. I think it would work really well with the espionage systems because, you know, you have the potential for, like, spies to discover that other Civs are conspiring against you and, you know, that can create some drama and then you can maybe go to them and, like, threaten them or, you know. Yeah, Pact of Secrecy, it it would have to be called something else. It can't be called Pact of Secrecy because it's just a, it's a joke now. To be called it packed to secrecy, but just call it um, conspiracy. Yeah, like, like a conspiracy plot. <laughs> That's why it would be great. Well, so is poison water supply at this point. Mm. Uh, joint joint statement that Civex sucks. I actually like the poison supply one. 
except Monster Cat did say one that I would change. What this is is spy action. If a city has fresh water, can reduce its city's population and health, but has heavy dip off penalties. I don't like the idea of taking a pop away, but I would like the idea of modifying that to prevent growth for a certain amount of turns. Mm, mm-hmm. Or maybe something like all tiles produce minus one food, so it doesn't necessarily take pop away, but it's going to make them harder to maintain their pop for that duration. As long as it's not taking away a pop. I, I don't like that, but I, yeah, something that slows down growth. I, I with, would... the, um, with the new disasters and environmental effects, something like, you know, knocking out uh, fresh water supply could actually be more valuable in Gathering Storm than it was in Vanilla or Rise and Fall. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with something like forcing a volcano to erupt or something. <laughs> oh, no, no. This is no, Star Trek. I mean, I mean, maybe, you know, you just <laughs> drop a, a nuclear suitcase in the volcano and... <laughs> Oops. Oh, Oops, this yes. is like every bad sci-fi movie. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, here's, here's my, my Doctor Doom plot. Also on the list, steal nuclear device, spy action, heavy chance of being caught, really heavy diplo penalty if caught, but if you succeed, uh, yeah. you get a nuclear device. Or alternatively, a weaker version where you sabotage someone else's nuclear device. Stuxnet yeah. anyone? So it just knocks that out of commissions, so instead of necessarily stealing it i like the the ask about which is about revealing civ relationships if you're with another civ if you're allied with a civ who knows that because that's sort of something we already do in turn cast and it'll be nice that we can uh, do that with the ais as well personally i just like a diplomacy screen that actually told us this stuff because we should know it <laughs> well, there i mean i mean we had it mod. in civ 4 it was called the the what was it called the the relations manager or something but it told yeah. you what everybody thought of everybody else and it told yeah, like you the, the web of colored lines between all the different civs yeah, we yeah. could we could make a better in- implementation than that. Well, but yeah. even Civ Five had a better one, even though it wasn't that great. Though Civ Six does have that. If you go into a Civ's leader screen, it does show the relationships. It's really difficult because it's a lot of clicks to do that, which is why it sucks. But that actually is already there. Give me a Secretary of State. Like have a proper screen showing all those at once at a glance. Yeah, like, what's it called? The the user interface mod. Because I'm using that, and that shows quite easily. But no, it doesn't show it quite right. And now is the point where we talk about how the UI needs help. Well, I mean, I am here, and it does. Here. <laughs> yeah, it, it would also be nice to be able to... I, I miss the ability to ask for promises, like, before the Civ does the thing that they're promising not to do. Because in Civ 6 right now, it's all reactionary. You have to wait for them to settle, forward settle that city next to you before you can ask them to please not do that anymore. At which point, it's moot, because they've already done it. Whereas, I'm pretty sure in Civ 5, if you just saw that settler coming by, you could be like, whoa, hold on. Don't even think What's about this? it. Yeah, don't Excuse do it. Me. Don't worry, uh, we're just passing through the area. And that's, that's gone. You were right to worry, it's time for you to die. Mm-hmm. And that would be a good thing with this with this new the thing that it's replacing the warmonger system. Grievances. Yeah, grievances. Uh, yeah, that would probably work really well with this new grievance system, because if you ma- if the other civs make promises, if you ask them to you know make promises and they break them or don't do them, that's a grievance. So like you would need to have a way to do that. Otherwise yeah. the civs will other civs will all have grievances against you, but you won't be able to have any grievances against them. Yeah, I, I would hope that there's more diplomatic interactions since there's going to uh, going to be a diplomatic victory and a world congress. And well, first time I heard that there was going to be a new world congress in the Civ Six, I'm like, ah, we get out of this. But I, I'm liking it so far. Who cares what the global community thinks? I have nukes. Oh, the grim oh. method of diplomacy.
brief one. Apparently somebody played 500 hours of Civ 6 and was surprised to see in the Switch version a city-state raise another city-state. I was not aware that city-states would do that. They raise everything they take. They raise everything, including my cities in Turncast. <laughs> when I wasn't seen, paying attention. Has anyone seen a city-state take a capital? Because they're legally not allowed to raise that, right? So they would have to keep it. I'm not sure I've ever seen that in Civ 6. I'm sure it could be engineered, right? Yeah, I'm not sure if I've ever seen a city-state take another city in Civ 6 at all. Like, I might have just not noticed it because they do raise it, so, like, it's gone before I noticed that it had been captured. I've lost one to a city-state when I just wasn't paying attention. You mix some alcohol, and your your main front is somewhere else, and then they take a city you didn't really care about, but... Yeah, yeah. I don't know about a capital. I, I'm sure they can take them because I know that they can just take regular cities and burn them down because it's happened to right. me. I would assume they would just have to keep the capital city if they captured it somehow. Yeah, that'd be fun. I think we talked about this like way back in Civ Five too. The idea of just a massive, massive city state. I would see that a lot in Civ Five, like especially when there'd be like some continent, like uh, you know, some along lines of Greenland, like out in the middle of like nowhere, and there were just like three city states or something like that on that continent and no other civs had like touched it until they all you know got to uh caravels and like the city states would just be going back and forth conquering each other's cities i think i think that did happen a lot in civ uh civ 5 but i don't remember according to the thread they wipe ai players off the map wow mm. that's good <laughs> but does that mean that they raise the city or that the ai is just gone because i think it know. means they raise the city because i can remember i was playing a game right when civ 6 came out where i was doing the huge map as uh victoria and i couldn't find spain's capital because it had been raised mm. oh okay okay so i guess they can do that because yeah they are coded to only raise if i recall oh wait yeah. are you allowed to raise capitals in six i not forget normally now. not normally but i guess city states can oh okay and it wow, didn't cause that, a that'd be a nice way to cherry tap someone to death rather than <laughs> taking it yourself you just hold them down until the city state finishes so... the day the deed <laughs> save no cities left on the map yeah and Whoa. then you don't have a aggression modifier on that <laughs> <laughs> That's true, I guess. <laughs> I would also wonder what that would do to the uh, domination victory with a it, capital city actually removed from the game. It just it's required, it just removed the one required, so it was 11 out of 12 instead of 10 out of, or 12 oh, okay. out of 12. Well, at least they, you know, accounted for that, and it doesn't make the game, like, unfinishable. Yeah. I wonder what difficulty these people are playing on who are seeing these things happen, because my experience is pretty much always that uh, AIs conquer city-states, like, 20 or 30 turns into the game. Yeah. Well, well, if there's a war, they you know they do stockpile their units to make sure they can go out go out there if uh, they want to. Looking at the screenshot, it's in French, which is a little bit difficult for me to read. But apparently, on turn two, 108, they had 16 science and 13 culture, so probably hmm. not a particularly high difficulty. Yeah, or they were just having too much trouble getting beaten back by the uh, city states. It doesn't look like it. They've got at least six, five cities. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the Twitch has di- or the the Twitch the Switch has different scaling. Who knows? I would be surprised uh, that would, if that they rewrote that much. I do yeah, own the Switch version, but I don't play it very often because it eats the battery. I, I think what no, I heard there's no was way that there's the-, the AI changes between difficulty. Call in today. In North America, the number is three zero one six three seven seven six five nine. That's 301-637-POLY. In Europe, 44-121-288-7659. That's 44-121-288-POLY. The only thing worse than being talked about 
is not being talked about. For more information on Polycast, our sibling shows, or about Polycast in general, log on to the series' official website at thepolycast.net. The Mounties get mad. <laughs> yeah, no littering. <laughs> you pick that up or I get a plus five hey, combat hey, you bonus against up, you. Hey. Well, since oh, I guess we're talking about editing this down, I guess we should probably draw this to a close, maybe? We've only broken 102 minutes. Yeah. So, thank you for listening to Polycast episode 330. I've been Mega Bears fan, along with Canis... <laughs> Canis that, something? That, um, that Mike Russell was not me. <laughs> Makalua. Always caffeinated. The me and team. Always utilizing tasteful strategies. And yeah. guest host, Drew Sane. Remember, kids, if you see something, slay something. <laughs> oh my.